welcome to the Cedar House Church Sermon of the Week. Our desire is to remain in God's presence, explore His passions, and supply tools that serve and inspire our city. It started ever since. I uh, just couldn't get it off my mind again during worship of just, there's, there's a season coming where um, this next 12 to 24 months, God is really going to start advancing you guys <clears throat> into understanding what it's more being like a son and daughter and moving into a wealth mindset of being uh, in the kingdom. And um, I just I just want uh, to say that publicly. I want to declare it over you that you will advance in the next two years into a new place in the kingdom that it won't even necessarily, your life may not look a lot different, but your lens will be completely different. So can we just push our hands, push our hands. You could push your hand. Technically, that is correct. You push your hand, stretch our hands out towards the Ephesians. Holy Spirit, we say yes to this advancement. We say yes to the increase that is coming to them. I just declare um, spiritual sons and daughters will come your way. And God, I pray that you protect them, protect their mind, that they know what's coming and they know how to steward what they're going to step into. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. May do some more of that at the end. Um, hey, how many of you were at the Robbie Dawkins conference? That was so good, wasn't it? I um, I just was really thankful of the deposit that he made. Just definitely someone who has stewarded his life in a way that he's he's kind of broken into some supernatural stuff. That was really cool uh, to see people get healed, and just the presence of God was so tangible. Um, but the neat thing that I was, I was so proud of our worship team. Can we just clap it up for our worship team one more time? I, I kept thinking, I, I think this like literally almost every Sunday, but definitely during the conference, I was like, I cannot believe that this, I was thinking, everyone's thinking, this has to be like the best musicians from all around the city that come and do this. And we're like, no, this is like our Sunday and they were all just people were just like, my gosh, this is just like incredible worship team. I'm thinking, I forget how special of a worship team that we have. And for a church of, I don't know, there's like 40 to 80 people every Sunday. We just, we get, it's such a privilege to have the worship team we have. It's just amazing. Isn't that good? I, uh, musicianship, um, people seeking God who are musicians um, that are given a free, that are given space to encounter God, seem to all find each other. You find little pockets around the country where these, where this happens, and um, I'm just believing that it's happening here, and I'm just so excited about it. So, um, awesome job, worship team, and just really excited for uh, what's coming. Anytime you honor, you know, the Bible, Jesus says to honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, and you receive that reward. And when Robbie Dawkins came, just the honor that we give to him by showing up, being here, buying his books, sewing in, that kind of thing, there's a deposit that's made um, in our community. So I just have a lot of expectation for increase um, for what God's doing. You guys good with that? Awesome. So we're, we're not in the middle of a sermon series, kind of in the summer. I'm just going to kind of teach the next few weeks some random topics that... Um, by random, I mean not a sermon series, but not random to me. Things that I feel like God's just been impressing upon me. And so um, 
Yeah, I'm just excited about it. So if you, I do a lot of public speaking here and um, professional for my job outside of the church as well. And um, I, I read a lot, or I used to read a lot on public speaking tools and tips and hints. And you can, it's a whole art to it. And basically for a sermon, you want people to leave with one nugget. That's what you're told to do. Just one great point where everyone leaves like, man, I got that point. Um, tonight is not going to be that. I'm uh, there's something on my heart that I want to share that I'm going to go very uh, potentially pretty far uh, theologically and um, just kind of go very broad and cover kind of a broad amount of topics. So can you guys put like your revelation hats on with me? Yeah, you good? You just get ready for this. Um, I know. Half of you are, we're kind of a unique crowd. We're like half intellectual, half like we just want the fire of God to come and doesn't care what else happens. And I'm like fully both of those. Like I love TED Talks and like lying on the floor for four hours soaking at the same time. And so some of you are like, this is going to be the greatest sermon. Some of you are going to be like, gosh, I just want him to start praying. And other you are just going to be in the middle and you're just going to absolutely love it. So I, uh, I'm excited about it. But I want to talk to you about prayer, um, and particularly the prayer that Jesus gave us, which is what we call the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked him, uh, when you pray, what do you pray? And he responded with a prayer. And anytime that the red letters of the Bible when Jesus is talking, it's very important. And um, I'm just so thankful for the Word of God, and particularly when Jesus starts talking there's uh, so so much valuable information. So how many of you are thankful that we're in the new covenant? I'm good with that. Don't want to like slaughter goats and obey all the laws and all that stuff. I, I enjoy this side as well. So um, just to make sure we're all on the same page, we're, the new covenant started when Jesus came. He died. He rose again. He ascended to the Father and now we're in this side of the cross, which we call the New Covenant. Now, the New Covenant is not the newest form of the Old Covenant. He completely abolished, is the actual word that Scripture uses, the law. The law and the prophets. He basically swallowed it. And now we're under this New Covenant of grace and love and connection, which we're going to talk about. And a lot of things changed when that happened. But for the sake of today, I'm going to just talk to you about a few of them for the context of prayer. So in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't come yet. The blood of Jesus hadn't hit. So there was so much distance between God and man. And this distance um, due to the power of sin was so strong that what God would do is he would anoint one man or call one man to be the high priest or the prophet. I'm using generalizations here. If you're a deep theologian, we can talk after Um, He would anoint one man to engage with God, come back out, and then tell everyone what what God is doing or what God is saying. Um, Not everyone had a personal relationship with God. The second thing that was really unique is it was uh, they were under the law. So Israel, by the end of it, had over 200 laws that they had to abide by. And by the time Jesus came, Um, the religious people had added over 350 more laws. So when Jesus came talking about the law, there was over 600 laws. But 
200 laws for Israel when it originally started. And it was very stringent. There was so many things they couldn't, couldn't do. You could think about it like this on this side of the cross. It was all of these rules and regulations that they could and couldn't do. And basically, this kept you in a good standing with God. But what it, it was almost as like it didn't matter what you thought or what your motive was. It was just how you behaved externally. You with me? All of these things, it was all external things that were managing you. It was a very um, elementary way of life. I just follow the rules. I just do what the, the law says, and everything is going to go well with me. The New Testament is completely different than that. Jesus came, died, ascended to the Father, and now we're under this covenant of grace. And under this covenant on this side, there is there's so much freedom and he swallowed the law. Now, when he swallowed the law, you can look at it like this. We got rid of the wall of the rules, the rules on the wall, and he wrote it on your heart. And it came down. Now it's all about a heart-to-heart connection with God. See, if there are no rules, then how do you manage yourself? You manage yourself internally from a relationship with God. Jesus put it like this. You heard it said in the Old Testament, if you, if you commit adultery, you committed adultery. Now I tell you in this covenant, if you even think it, it's like you did it. This is what he's saying. Guys, I'm not as worried about these rules. I'm worried about your heart. I'm worried about your thought process. I'm worried about how you manage yourself internally. This is a little offensive, but I'm just going to say all kind of stuff offensive today. You can leave if you want. Um, there, there actually are no rules in the New Testament. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. And your connection with God is what is your motivator and is what is, is your anchor and your compass for your life in God. Now, there are principles that if you don't live by, your life will go awry, but you get to choose that. And with all of this freedom, we have to learn how to manage ourselves. So this is, here's the thing. Most people, I'm just now getting to a point in my life where I'm realizing I do this. We just like the Old Testament. Listen, there's most Christians like the Old Testament. Here's why. It's just better for someone to just tell me what to do. I, I don't have to think on my own or be in my own relationship with God, I just want to follow these rules. Does it really have to be like all based on relationship with God? And it is. He, he, he's really, it is. And we don't like it. So what we do is we make rules. Religion makes more rules. We, we really want to pull from the Old Testament. Oh, I want to come on this side and get those things and just put them back on this side. And they're in conflict. They don't work. Um, I'll talk about alcohol because I'm just going to keep punching the offensive thing tonight in church, you know. Um, in my opinion, the Bible's very clear on don't get drunk, okay? But over and over in the Bible, 
drinking wine is totally fine. I mean, Jesus did it. Okay, so I am a new. I'm a believer in the New Testament, and let's say Stacy's a believer in the New Testament. You are a believer, right? And her heart says that she feels like God says, "Hey, I don't want you to drink alcohol." That's totally fine. And my heart, God may say, it's totally fine to have a glass of wine. What, what is the law there? It's connection with God. Are you with me? Okay. Are you glad we're on the New Testament still? Okay. We're, we're, there's more required of us on this side, actually. Here's the thing. The law required less of us. This side requires more. He doesn't just care about external behavior now. He actually wants our hearts and our minds. He's requiring us to not even think it. So we should probably be wanted to be in the Old Testament now because we're going to be held accountable for a lot. How many of you have loved every thought you've had last week? So I say all that to say this. In this New Testament that we're in, in this new covenant that we're in, in the new bloodline that we're in, the, what is our motivator and what how we manage ourselves is through a heart-to-heart connection with God. And we call this heart-to-heart connection, when we talk to one another with God, we call it prayer. Okay, let me just say one more thing just to make sure I get this out. Anything I just said that makes you think you can go do whatever you want, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay. The, the, the rule of the New Testament is this. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is, is all of your behavior helping you love God more, others more, and yourself? Okay? That should govern you. This, this is actually how I see it. There, there are two... These are not... There are no formulas in the New Testament, okay? <laughs> but I kind of work in framework like that. I'm not bringing the Old Testament into the New, but I, this is how it works. Everything in the New Testament, there's so much freedom. There's so much available to us. Am I, is it in the Bible? Am I spending time in the quiet place and with Christian community? That is one quadrant that you have to stay in. Anything outside of that's not good. And then the other one is, is it helping me love God, others, and myself more? And if so, I'm in a safe balance of managing my freedom. Okay? Can I get an amen? Okay. In this connection with God, this back and forth communication, we call this prayer. When I talk to God and he talks to me, or you talk to God and he talks to you, that's called prayer. All right. So let's talk about prayer. Uh, God said to Solomon in the Old Testament, he said, he said, Solomon, if my people would humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, I'd heal their land. If they would humble themselves and pray, I'll heal, heal their land. He puts it in the context. He puts prayer and humility in the same sentence. Listen, prayer postures you in a position where you have to be humble to come before God and say, I can't do this on my own. At some point, I stop and you start, and I need you to cover me. Prayer is an immediate response. When you start praying, you are automatically 
humbled into a posture before God where you are poor in spirit. I need God, I'm coming to you because I need something. I can't do this on my own. That humility attracts heaven. Okay, when you come before God and you're aware of your need and you know that you need something from God, that's called being poor in spirit. Jesus said this, happy is the man who's poor in spirit for he will what? You want to know? He will see the kingdom. Come on now, guys. Have I completely lost you already? You got to track with me. You got to get your hats on here now. Happy, blessed is the man who is poor in spirit, for he will see the kingdom. Now think about that. When I humble myself and pray, what happens? I start seeing the kingdom. When you spend time with God communicating back and forth, he'll start show you, he'll, he'll begin to show you the kingdom. He'll begin to show you the kingdom values. He'll begin to show you um, the way he thinks and why he thinks the way he thinks. Okay. The second thing that prayer does is that it covers. Um, it's very biblical. You'll, we say this all the time. Hey, let's cover this in prayer. Everyone has said that, right? It's true. Prayer covers. Guys, I can't encourage you enough to pray for your family. Uh, I look at it like if I don't take my responsibility to pray over the people around me, you, family, city, um, all of that, I feel like if I'm not doing that, I'm leaving everyone exposed. There's something about just agreeing with God and saying it that covers people. So prayer postures you low in a serving poor in spirit posture and at the same time it covers who you pray for you can look at it like this it just attracts resources i'm poor in spirit god i'm humbling myself i'm praying i need something and he comes and he covers it were you here for father's day when i talked about god covering us anybody who was here for that who remembers that okay that's what he does Prayer engages God and invites him into the situation. Um, so obviously this thing of prayer is really important. We want to see the kingdom and we don't want to leave people exposed, right? And we want to communicate with God in the New Testament, right? Jesus modeled this praying, this praying life, this life full of prayer. Often the prairie, he would go out uh, consistent. He would pray all the time. Uh, he would go away for 40 days at a time. It said he would just pray and fast for 40 days. It's a lot of prayer. So Jesus is modeling to the disciples, this: you, you need to be praying on a consistent basis. So the disciples are watching Jesus. They're watching him do all these amazing things. And in my opinion, they, they're asking him, hey, how do we do this? Like, you're, this connection you have with God and all the stuff you're doing, when you go off and pray and come back, what are you praying? Wouldn't you think that's a logical thing to pray, right? I mean, ask him, right? Like, hey, how, do you, how does this work? And he responds, and he tells them, us, exactly what to pray. And it's in Matthew 6. I'm going to read that. It's Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. He says, when you pray, 
you are not like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their full reward. But you, when you pray, go in the inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And when your Father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Where's God? In the secret. And when you are praying, do not be mean, don't have meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Men like that. Oh, cool! This is like a simple. They don't need to be keep rambling. This is executed. Here we go. Uh, he says, "Pray then like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, and Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever. Jump to verse fourteen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Okay. This is a militant prayer. I know we have military guys in here, former military. This is not a nice, suggested, flowery prayer from God. This is an apostolic mission of Jesus telling us, this is what I want you to pray. And when you pray this, all of heaven is backing it, and you're on earth to be doing this. So I know this is such a, like, my high school basketball team, God bless it, we'd get together before each game. And I remember for when I got put on varsity, everyone takes a knee and says this prayer. And I'm like, we do nothing else Christian. And then we get together and we say this prayer. Like, this is so weird. Anyone know what I'm talking about? <laughs> it's like so watered down. But this is, the, this, is a, this is a very, very astute, there is nothing soft about this prayer. Jesus knew this would be in the Bible, and he put it into five or six sentences for us to have. So this, engage yourself. This is important. Um, So what I'd like to do is just break this down, um, just kind of line by line. Are you guys with me? Can you do this? Okay. So he starts it off. He says, okay, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Okay. The the greatest privilege in the Christian life and the best process and the best thing you can do as a Christian and the goal of the Christian life is to know God as a father. There is no higher revelation. There is no secret to it. It's learning him as a dad, Abba Father. This is 100% true. Jesus came and revealed to us the Father. Jesus said, I have come to reveal the Father. The whole mission that Jesus came on was not to do miracle signs and wonders. It was to reveal to us the Father in everything he did. And what, what Jesus is telling us in this prayer is, every day, remind yourself that he's your dad. This is, he puts the entire Christian faith, he puts all of the theology and all of the mission of why you're on earth for this one thing. Our Father in heaven. God is a Father. 
everything he does is from a father's heart. The, the world is dying to see Christians model him as a dad, like Jesus did, just like Jesus did. So every single day when you sit down to pray, Father in heaven, I'm not trying to get too technical here. It's not Jesus. It's not Holy Spirit. Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. This is the greatest Christian thing you could do. I, I uh, This journey of learning him as a father has just been so paramount in my life. But one of the things I felt like God showed me one time in worship was I, you know, I always ask God, I'm like, you sure you're okay with like what we're doing here? Like in, in the world, like he just handed the globe to us and I'm like, man, there's just a lot of chaos and he's just okay with it. He, he's okay with the mess apparently. And it's like, as though, um, there's 7 billion orphans and, um, the wealthiest, wisest, smartest man in the world comes in and adopts seven billion orphans, throws them into his kingdom, and then empowers them. Can you just just think about what that would look like? Chaos. Absolute chaos. Us trying to figure out what is it like to have a father. Like, oh, there's going to be food here tomorrow. Like, oh, I don't have to steal or hit. Or like, oh, he has resources for everyone. Oh, he loves me and you. On and on, this process of learning him as a father. And we're in our journey learning to do that. Okay, the second part of that is, hallowed be your name. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's two root words that kind of come from this. It basically means to make your name great. Magnify your name. You are big. Make it bigger. Father, hallowed be your name. Make your name bigger. Make your name greater. Um, It's just acknowledging him as a sovereign huge being and the other word words that comes from it is holy our father in heaven holy is your name or make your name regarded as holy um my phone just rang it's funny um hallowed be your name so make your name holy I don't. If, I know. I, sometimes we get in prayer up here. I, I kind of get lost in my prayers, but I'm, I'm always praying this. Um, I always say this to God: God, you do things the right way. You think the right way. Like everything you do is correct. You've designed things well. I love how you empower. I love how you lead. God, everything you do is right. You think the right way. See, the angels are saying, holy, 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 24-7. Now, that does mean that he's without blemish and without sin. But in my opinion, I also think it means that they're just constantly getting revelation of his goodness. I think they're constantly getting revelation of, gosh, that's how he thinks. Look at how he stewards. Look at how he manages. He's just, he's amazing. He's so big and he's so holy. He's so right. God always does the right thing. Like, just think about that. Like, he, he only does the right thing. And I think they're just getting revelation of that over and over and over. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Understanding God as a holy um, being. Okay, so then go to the second part. So your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay. Jesus didn't come talking about Christianity. 
Jesus came talking about his Father's kingdom. It's very different. It, when he talks about his kingdom, a kingdom is when a, a king is in charge. There are certain core values. There are certain regulations. There are certain things that are tolerated and certain things that are celebrated. And what Jesus was doing was constantly trying to articulate the way that his kingdom works. You could look at it like every situation that Jesus came upon, he brought the kingdom of God. There's uh, two examples of this. Jesus says, if I cast a demon out of you by the spirit of God, the kingdom has come upon you. Okay, so I brought, when I brought out the darkness, the kingdom came in. Everywhere Jesus went, he just made the footprint of the kingdom bigger. Why is that? He brought the Father's way of doing things into every situation. Amen? He said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's always reachable. You know what that means to me? It's in our thought life. The kingdom is in how we think and perceive God. Um, try, this, this is, it's a heart. I mean, Jesus tried to explain it, and we still are trying to figure it out. So <laughs> he's the greatest teacher ever. But I'm trying to think of analogies in which it would make sense. And, and if you could think about it like this, if I was standing on your property or someone's property, and there was a fence, and I'm on the sidewalk, I'm under the jurisdiction of the city. You can have a fence right here, and I can be talking to you, and you're on your side of the jurisdiction. There are different rules that apply on this side as they do on this side, just based off of jurisdiction. Are you with me? If I open the gate door and walk into your gate and close it, I now am under your system. Okay? So I can, it's just literally like that. I can be in the kingdom. I can be out of the kingdom by how I'm functioning and how I'm thinking. Robbie Dawkins, um, he hit on it a little bit on Friday night, which is kind of cool. He randomly mentioned it. The, The kingdom doesn't work the same as our natural way of thinking. So it looks foreign to people who don't understand it. So you think about it like this. In his kingdom, the first will be last and the last will be first. It's weird. In his kingdom, he says, it's better to give than to receive. On this side of the fence, that makes no sense. Okay, on, in the kingdom, he says, hey, if someone slaps you, I want you to let them slap your other cheek. Are you with me? There's a different set of core values that Jesus modeled in the kingdom. And from the outside looking in, it's always going to be a little bit bizarre. But learning how to transpose his way into our life daily, and it comes through yielding, and it comes through our thought life. So, you guys with me? The heavy, heavy hats on here, okay? Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I'm going to talk to you about free will for a second. <laughs> Just to open up told you you got to have your revelation hats on here um there's a huge um there's two polar opposite points of views in the church where free will exists 
and non-free will exists, and everyone is somewhere in the middle of this pendulum. Um, I, I want to say this. The only way that I feel like I can love God with all my heart and love you and love myself is if I have a choice. If I am forced into loving God, if I am forced into loving you and loving myself, that's not love. There is beauty in the choice. God could have made robots, and he didn't do that. Jesus died for you to literally have a choice. Um, There's a quote that's, um, a man who's had an encounter is never at the mercy of a man with a theology. I, I don't know how else to describe it to you. I think some of you have felt it in the room as well. When you, when you grasp the beauty of your free will, that God will not manipulate you, he will not override you, he will let you choose, the wooing that comes from that is so much stronger than using force, thinking God's going to come grab you and force you into relationship. Are you with me? If you, uh, you can believe anything you want, it doesn't matter to me, but if you want to live an empowered life, you need to understand that you're fully responsible for you and your actions. I mean 100%. Not your parents, not God. You. If you want change in your life, you have to start from the foundation that you're in charge of your life. Listen, the religious thing to do is act like God's in charge. He's not. Okay, the Bible says this. It is not God's will that any man should perish. Are men perishing? Yes. Not everything that happens is God's will. Okay. We're in the deep end here. You guys good? Not everything that happens is God's will. Okay, is God powerful enough to fix any situation? Absolutely. Okay, he has chosen to yield himself in a relationship with us and empowered us to be a part of the equation how how all of this goes down. Listen, that is a more powerful way to be God than not. Insecure leaders want to take away free will. God's not insecure. He is fine with us completely fumbling this plan up. How many of you think we fumbled up Christianity a little bit? (laughs) He's okay with it. Why is that? We have free will. The beauty of free will. Adam and Eve started in the garden. Don't touch any, I mean, you can do anything you want, guys. Literally, this is paradise. You can literally, you have so many yeses. You can say yes to everything. Just don't do it to this one thing. He had to give them the decision. And the decision was, you have to be free to choose. Guys, if you are not allowing your wife to choose you, you're not experiencing love. Control is fake authority. And God doesn't do that. 
you should feel more love, not less. People, when you start talking about how God's not in complete control and he's given us free will, people think that that magnifies us and minimizes God. I would say the exact opposite. I would say he's so big and secure and so loving that he would do that to me. He won't force me into a decision. I daily get to wake up and say, my father in heaven. Do you know who's doing that? Me. God's not forcing me to do that. You're a free-willed person. This is such a big deal to me. It's not even a big deal theologically. You know what it is a big deal to me? As I watch people, if you want to be successful in life, you have to take responsibility and ownership for your behavior. Okay, blame doesn't exist in God's kingdom. Do you know why that is? Because you are held responsible for your life. No, no, no. That person didn't make you do anything. You chose it. Well, my boss, you chose the job. You chose to live in Baton Rouge. There is some route somewhere where you made a choice. Am I digging at your soul too much tonight? Are you guys happy? Half of you are glazed over. I'm having a fa- this is I'm having a fantastic time up here. Okay, uh, I'll say this final thing on the free will thing. There, there are things that will happen in the kingdom. Let me give you an example. Jesus is coming back. You, you can vote yes, no. You don't have to believe it. Doesn't matter. Hundred percent happening. Okay. The but other than those few things, here's is a kind of an off the wall one. Sowing and reaping. That's 100% a kingdom equation. You don't have to like it. It will happen. But you have free will within this. I'm going over here theologically. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't even know when the return will happen. Do you know why I think that? Because you and I, you and I have a role in that. When will the bride be fully equipped and be ready to marry Jesus? How much agreement will he have? He doesn't know because he's given us free will. It could happen in 100 years. It could happen in 10,000. I think Jesus is really eager about the whole thing. (laughs) My point is, you're free. You are free to do whatever you want. Okay, here's the deal. Every day when you pray this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You You are taking your will that God will not overcome. He will not manipulate it. And you're surrendering it to his will. Okay, that is powerful. God is looking for powerful people to yield themselves to his will. If you don't think you have a free will, your offering for his will means nothing. God, your will be done, but I don't think I have a will, so I don't. you just do whatever you want. Are you with me? Okay. On earth as it is in heaven. I know we've talked about this one a lot. You are on, for those of you who don't know, you're on the earth to make it look like heaven. You are bringing heaven's kingdom into this kingdom. No poverty, sickness, death, political spirit, any of that stuff in heaven, it's not supposed to be here. Okay, moving on for the sake of time. Okay, it says this, give us today our daily bread. This is our daily bread. There's a bunch of worship songs on that. Um, this is what I'd like to say about that. This is the only thing he puts in this prayer that has a time frame. Notice it's not a month, a week, anything like that. Give me today my daily bread. Every day is a new day with God. His mercies are new every single day. It's important that every... 
he will, your relationship with him is changing daily. Your relationship with your wife is changing daily. Are you with me? And so every single day come before him. Okay, Jesus says things like this. Guys, don't worry about tomorrow or in the future. That has enough anxiety of its own. Look at the lilies of the field. I take care of them, and they're not, they're not even close to as valuable as you. you got to get that. Stacy said this during flow time. Anxiety is you're thinking too much of yourself. Listen, get out of your head and think today. Today with God, the rocks are crying out. Okay, daily bread. Israel. God took a million slaves out of Israel through the desert into this promised land. When they were going through the desert, God said he would take care of them. Literally every single day, twice a day, manna and quail from heaven would just appear on the ground. That is pretty cool. Um, anyway, one of the things God would say is this. He'd say, um, I'm going to give it to you twice a day. You'll have more than enough. Have your fill. But you can't take any for the next day. And if you took it, it would actually disappear. Listen, God is saying, I am your provider. Some of you are in seasons where you're not in position to store away and you're daily being provided for. And that's training. God is equipping you in the season. This is your daily bread. Daily. You guys with me? All right. This is the last point. And he says this. Forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Okay, I'm going to read verse 14, which is at the end of this. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your Father will not forgive you. Okay. I want to talk to you about forgiveness for a second. Um, I want you to understand how severe this is. He just said, this is Jesus. My heavenly Father will not forgive you if you don't forgive other people. Listen, I, I believe in the goodness of God to a level that is offensive. Come to the school of ministry, you'll find out. I'm kidding. Um, if you keep asking me questions, I mean, I believe that God is out. Nothing surpasses his goodness and his grace. But this is still true. You can go anywhere you want to theologically on if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. I would just suggest you forgive people. This is, I mean, literally, how do you pray? Forgiveness is such a big deal to him. Make sure you're forgiving other people. I view that with my free will that I'm empowered. And I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm forgiving people. That is a really big deal, guys. Listen, this is what forgiveness does. Some of you have been hurt. And rightfully, you justifi- justifiably should be upset. You, need, you have to forgive. Forgiveness makes you feel like you're preserving your heart and it feels like you're staying powerful, but the truth is you're still a victim and it makes you small. That person that hurt you is still winning if you're not forgiving. Are you with me? You are still letting them control you if you haven't forgiven them. Um, when you go through in-depth like um, sozo training, this may be in Noah's part two class, but if you keep going and there's different forms of sozo training, you'll learn that unforgiveness will make you sick. 
psychologists have figured this out. This isn't like a Christian thing. Like if you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, it will literally make you sick. Like your body will be sick. And your the things of the internal world speak of the external world. I uh, being really vulnerable here. I got sick like three years ago. It was like three weeks. We didn't know what was going on. I was going to like every place in the city to figure it out. Like getting X-rays. Potentially they were doing like CAT scans for cancer and stuff. Some weird strand of the flu. But um, they told me the first thing they're like, "We think it's your kidney." I my fr- literally they called me. It was with Justin Smith, and I thought. Who do I possibly have unforgiveness towards? I called like six people and had a couple face to faces. They thought it was so weird. I'm like, man, just that thing that happened when we were like 11. I'm, are you good, man? I forgive you. I love you. Totally fine. You know, they get and they're like, yeah, yeah, totally good. I'm like, okay, because if you have unforgiveness in your heart, it makes you sick. I didn't say that. Then they would really freak them out, you know. But um, I just believe in that. So here's my point. I don't know how to theologically explain not forgiving you if you don't forgive God, but it's in the Bible. Make sure you're forgiving people. All right, and the last thing he says is, for yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. Ending every time you pray with acknowledging God's worth, his awesomeness, his kingdom, his power, his glory forever. So I'm not saying that you need a formula in every day, like the prayer of Jabez or something like that. I love the prayer of Jabez. Um, This isn't a formula. I'm saying this is a basis to launch your prayer life and everything that you do. Can I get an amen? All right. One more thing in my heart. Back to that poor in spirit thing. What poor in spirit people do is pray without bias. Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Okay, if there's someone in your life that you will you have something towards that you won't pray for, get rid of that thing. Get rid of the unforgiveness. Uh, it doesn't matter to me what your view of our president is. You need to be praying for him. You need to be praying for our mayor. You need to be praying for our governor. Anyone in leadership, you need to be praying for them. We need to be covering. There's enough people shooting holes in what they're doing. Why don't you be on the side that says yes? Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cedarhousechurch.com.